Happy Easter. I don't know, what do you say? He is risen, he is risen indeed. I don't know, I don't know where everybody came from, but uh, man, happy Easter. I'm so thankful you're here this morning. I'm going to ask for a little grace today as you're turning to Luke 24 with me. Um, I'm slowly losing my voice, and so uh, I ask that as we read the scriptures here in a second, that if you would pray for me, that God would give me 25 minutes of grace. Notice I said 25, not 30. You're welcome. Um, 25 minutes of grace to be able to uh, sustain my, my voice and to be able to share from the scriptures this morning. And so yesterday I only had about 50, 60%. It came back and it's slowly going away again. So I would appreciate prayers for that this morning. Luke chapter 24, we're going to get right to it. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Living hope, we believe that the scriptures are a big deal. We're very much for the gospel. So we believe that God wrote a book to us and for us to know him better. But also, I've been saying this recently, when we stand initially for the reading of scripture, it's us placing ourselves under the authority of God's word and saying, Lord, whatever you say to me this morning, I submit my life to that truth. All right, let's read Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. God's word says this. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men, asked the angels. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. In verse 8, and they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, Jesus. What a, a day that we get to celebrate. As we just sang in that song, you have no rival and you have no equal. Father, you are the very one who conquered death, who defeated sin, hell, and the grave for your glory on our behalf. I've got to pray as we look at this familiar story, what could be a familiar story to some, maybe a new story to others, that God, that you would help us to learn from you, Lord, that we would encounter the Jesus of the Bible today. So God, would you give us open ears to hear from you this morning? God, we want soft hearts because we don't just want to hear the word, Lord. We want it to change us. And even past that, Lord, we pray for obedient hands and feet so that we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because Lord, we want to walk in obedience to whatever we encounter in the scriptures today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, every year, if you engage in some sort of church gathering or service, we tend to look at this same Easter story. If you didn't know this, the Easter story is only found in so many places in the scriptures. So every year, it's the same cross, it's the same tomb, it's the same resurrection, the same events. And every year, and I've shared this before, as a pastor and as a teacher of the scriptures, um, there's always this tension that you live in in the weeks leading up to Easter, the weeks leading up to Christmas. We feel like we have to come up with some new creative spin on this moment in history. Because the fear often is this, is that in the familiarity of the resurrection story and the Easter story, in our fear, we're afraid that the story will lose its significance. But typically what I tend to do is I say, well, forget all that nonsense. I'm just going to tell you the same old story. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to just share the same old story of the resurrection. And today I want to ask you a simple question. It's a question we ask a lot at Living Hope Columbus. It's the most important question you and I could ever answer in our lifetime. It's three words. It's the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The most important question that you could ever consider, answer, think through is that question, who is Jesus? Because at some point, the Bible says according to Philippians chapter 2, according to Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21, 
At some point, all of us are going to have to answer that question, who is Jesus? And you can choose to answer that question this side of eternity, or you can choose to answer it on the other side of eternity. But at some point in time, every one of us is going to be challenged with that question, who is Jesus? Now, let me also phrase it this way. You've maybe heard me say this before. The question is not, who is Jesus to me? That's irrelevant, by the way. The question is, who is Jesus? The question is not, who do my grandparents believe Jesus is? It's not, who do my parents say Jesus is? It's not even, who do other people in the room with me right now say that Jesus is? And here's another big one. The question isn't, who do I think Jesus is? That's irrelevant. The question is this, who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus of the Bible? Years ago, I can remember reading a book, maybe you read it, I believe it was the book, The Case for Christ, where culture tries to wrestle with that question, who is Jesus, and, and he makes the argument in that book, he says that most people, you can boil down that question, who is Jesus, where they think he was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. Really, all of our, our views, opinions on who Jesus is can be boiled down to that. Some will say, man, Jesus was simply a good person, lived a good life, did good things, had good intentions, and he taught bad people how to be good. Did he do that? Yeah, that's not who Jesus is, though. Some people will, will say that Jesus was simply a great teacher. We got to meet with some friends from another faith group a few weeks ago and ask them their opinion on Jesus, and that's exactly what they told us. Jesus was a prophet who was a good teacher who taught us about God. He revolutionized the world. His lessons were important. Is that true? Yeah, but that's not all of who Jesus is. Some people will say, and I've seen this this morning with some friends on my social media accounts, where they'll tell us that Jesus was a liar. He was simply some crazed lunatic going after a blind cause, chasing some sort of social reform, trying to deceive people. Is that true? No, that's a lie from the pit of hell, by the way. That's not who our Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus of the Bible? Let's think on that as we look at the story of Easter. My favorite passage for the Easter story is Luke chapter 24. Here in Luke chapter 24, we're entering the Easter story shortly after the crucifixion. Only a few days to be exact. We've said the last few weeks that the redemption story, so we've been tracing the redemption narrative from the Garden of Eden. We saw that two weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Joe talked about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was going to absorb the wrath of God and he was te the tension that was in that, the struggle that he was facing as he was praying to God, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And now we pick up in Luke 24 in the garden tomb. John 19 verse 41 actually references the place that Jesus' body was laid as the garden tomb. And so we have the shadow of Good Friday that was still lingering across Jerusalem. On Good Friday, two days ago, where many Christians around the world remembered that Jesus' body was hung on a Roman cross in a place known as Golgotha. If you didn't know, that word Golgotha actually literally means the place of the skull. So many people had been killed on that hill that they were just believed to be bones lying all over the place because the Romans had crucified so many folks. On Good Friday, the disciples were scattered. They abandoned Jesus. We can read throughout the Gospels where they would say, Lord, I will die for you. But the moment that he was taken by the Romans and hung on that cross, the Bible says that his disciples scattered. We pick up in Luke 24 where they're still hiding, lost, confused, scared, unsure of their future. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. 
You can remember and read in the Gospels where he told them that this day was coming, but he would rise again three days later. But they didn't get it. They thought he was going to be the Messiah that would save them from the Romans. How could he be dead? The religious leaders of this time, what were they doing? Celebrating. They took out this blasphemous rabbi named Jesus. And in Luke 24, that shadow of Good Friday lingers. But as you've seen all this week, and you probably heard it on the radio, Sunday's coming. Sunday changes everything. Three points for us quickly this morning as we walk through Luke 24. The first one is this. It's that shadow of Friday. The shadow of Friday. Look at verse 1 in Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. So we know here in verse 1, it's a Sunday morning. Same time as where we're gathered here. Remember, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not Monday. That's always a good reminder for us. The Bible says very early in the morning at this moment in history, probably when the sun was about to rise, a group of women who we read about in Luke 24, verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and some other unnamed women, they're coming to the tomb of Jesus to embalm his body with very traditional Jewish embalming spices. You can read in Luke chapter 23, verse 49. P.S., a lot of Bible today. So if you love the Bible, this is good for you. If you don't love the Bible, you will in the next 20 minutes, all right? Luke 23, verse 49, says that these women, the ones who are coming to the tomb, had walked with Jesus for a while. They were there when he actually died on the cross. They actually observed his crucifixion from a distance. Luke chapter 23, verse 55, says that they followed the people who were burying the body of Jesus to the tomb, and they watched and observed as Jesus' body was laid in that tomb. Then the Bible says at the end of Luke chapter 23 that they rested on the Sabbath on that Saturday. Now Sunday morning they're returning to the tomb where they had seen his lifeless body placed on Friday. And what does the Bible say they brought? They brought with them spices and perfume, Luke 23, 56, to continue the embalming process of Jesus' dead body. This was typically a long process in Jewish culture. Now here's what's interesting. interesting. Traditionally, If you were crucified by the Romans, typically you were considered a criminal. That's why they killed you. You didn't get to have your body buried. If you were crucified by the Romans, your body had two options. Either the Romans would leave you on the cross for your body to be eaten by wild birds and wild animals. And once they picked away all of your flesh, then they would take down your bones and just leave them there scattered at Golgotha. Or, if you were lucky, they might take your body off of that cross and they would just throw you in the dump where you would then decay and be eaten by wild animals. But Jesus' body was different. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 50, that a man named Joseph, a wealthy man, a member of the Sanhedrin, who didn't believe in what they were going to do to Jesus and his crucifixion, that this man named Joseph requested the body of Jesus so that he could bury Jesus' body in his own personal tomb, a tomb of his family. We read in John chapter 19, this, this same account of this same moment. That when they buried Jesus' body, imagine this, 75 pounds of myrrh was taken to use to embalm his body, and then they would wrap it in this fine linen. Remember that? Fine linen. Again, Jewish custom. And again, I want us to feel for a moment this weight of the shadow of Friday. Like Friday is meant for us, this side of the cross, to feel the weight of sin, to feel the weight of the wrath of God, to feel the cost and the consequence of sin. I shared this illustration last year, one of my favorite Bible illustrations. When you think of Joseph offering up his tomb in order to to put the body of Jesus in, 
And imagine for just a second, this didn't really happen, but this would be hilarious. If a guy, when Joseph went to Pilate, and he's like, hey, can I have the body of Jesus? And Pilate agrees to it, and they're carrying it off to the tomb, where one of Joseph's buddies comes up, and he nudges him on the side, and he's like, hey, Joseph, hey, man, like, um, like that's your family's tomb, bro. Like, should you just bury this random rabbi in the tomb of your family? And Joseph would have nudged his buddy back, and he's like, no, no, that's cool. He only needs it for the weekend. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> so now, it's Sunday. That stone's been rolled in front of the tomb. The Bible says a Roman seal has been placed upon it. If the Roman seal was placed upon something, that meant that it carried all the power and authority of Rome. They placed Roman guards in front of that tomb, meaning that nobody was going to get in because there was fear that the disciples were going to steal the body of Jesus. To somehow formulate and, and, and come up with this, this elaborate plan to convince all of these people in the, the Roman Empire that this man named Jesus had risen from the grave. And so they wanted to block off the tomb so that couldn't happen. No one in, nobody out, or the Romans would have your way with them. And so these ladies are coming to finish the embalming process, expecting to find the body of Jesus, because dead people don't rise from the grave, do they? Heck yeah, they do. Check point number two, the hope of Sunday. Look at verse two. The Bible says that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. All right, my one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, because here's why. I truly believe with all of my heart that Luke, like, insanely underplayed the gravity of this moment, okay? You've got all of these women that are coming to the tomb of Jesus, expecting to find his dead body in there with Roman guards placed in front of it, and they arrive, and what does Luke say? Yeah, the stone was rolled away. I mean, I feel like he's underplaying what's going on here, because here's the reality. Um, if you this afternoon, let's do another illustration. If you were to leave church, and you're going to go visit grandma's grave, maybe your grandmother's no longer with us, you go visit grandma's grave, you arrive at the graveyard, you get there, you notice something weird, that her casket is out of the ground, the lid is open, and grandma ain't there no more. Here's the reality. You're not going to go home on Facebook and be like, hey, yeah, I went to church this morning, visited grandma's grave, she wasn't there, but we got a great deal on blueberries at Meyer on the way home. <laughs> you know? Like, the, I, don't, I don't feel like any of us would do that. I mean, this is a big deal, I mean, this is the hinge point of all of Christianity, right? And what does Luke do? Women came to the tomb. Stone was moved. Let's go on. I love Matthew's perspective on this event. Luke gives us the empty tomb. Matthew gives us the events leading up to the empty tomb. Matthew 28, if you'd like to look there, you can. Flip back to two books in your Bible. Matthew chapter 28, verses 2 through 4. The scripture says this. Listen to this. So you got Luke who's like, stone was moved. Listen to what Matthew says. Matthew says there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And he rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards were so shaken with fear of him that they became like dead men. What's Luke say? The stone was moved. What's Matthew say? It was incredible. I mean, Matthew, just let me, let me give you the Aaron Cliff Notes version of this. Matthew says, there was a violent earthquake. An angel descended from heaven. I can't really describe him to you, but he looked something like lightning and snow mixed together. That's the only way I could describe it. It was pretty amazing. Then that angel casually walked up to the tomb that was guarded by two Roman guards, the biggest, baddest dudes on planet Earth. They were so afraid by the snow lightning angel that they fell to the ground like dead man. Pretty sure one of them peed his pants. Can't confirm it, but pretty sure it happened. 
Then that angel walked over to the stone. He rolled it away. And like icing on the cake, he didn't just roll it. That dude got up and sat on top of it. That's what Matthew says. And what's Luke say? The stone was rolled away. I, I, I wrote in my notes here. Y'all, when we get to heaven, we're going to have to have a quick meeting with Luke. You know? Like, hey, bro, did you really not think this was a big deal? Or when, like, when the disciples were telling you, they didn't think it was a big deal? I don't know. I love that. It's an incredible moment. But then when they go into the tomb... They didn't find what they thought they'd find. Look at Luke 24, verse 4. So while, again, Luke, listen. While they were perplexed about this, duh, you know, what do you think? Suddenly two men or angels stood by them in dazzling clothes. I love how Matthew calls it like snow lightning angel. And Luke says they were dazzling. You know, it's cool. But can you imagine the confusion of these, these ladies? I mean, maybe their fear. We saw in Luke chapter 23 that they observed from a distance Jesus' crucifixion. They, they followed Joseph to the tomb to bury the body of Jesus. They saw that stone rolled in front of the tomb. They saw that Roman seal placed on it. They saw the guards. They saw it all. And when they arrived, the stone was rolled away. And in the midst of their confusion, they're engaged in conversation by the angels. Point number three is the restoration of the garden. The restoration of the garden, the restoration of what God created in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, so the women were terrified and they bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men, asked the angels. Again, Luke's very matter-of-fact writing here. That's a very simple question that the angels delivered to these ladies. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you here? Don't you remember what Jesus told you? He told you that he would rise on the third day, so why did you come back here? Because living people don't hang out in tombs. And then they make, we were talking about this this morning out front as y'all were chowing on pancakes, these angels make what I believe is the greatest statement in the Bible. I mean, this is the hinge point of all Christianity. This is why we celebrate today. This is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. Like, this is that thing that you need to, like, text your second cousin today. Text this verse right here. Post it on the Facebook yard sale page. Maybe you pull up to a car when you leave church today at this light right here. Roll your window down. Be like, hey, bro, listen to this. I'm going to tell you something about Easter. What are you going to say? Luke 24, 6. He is not here, but he's risen. I mean, that's what we celebrate today. Even in a Baptist church, that ought to make you all get a little Pentecostal this morning. That deserves a hearty amen, right? He is not here. He is risen. I'm convinced every time we say that, the angels in heaven lose their minds. You know, They see the resurrected Christ right there on his throne. And every time a Christian's like, he's not here, he's risen, the angels are like, you bet he is. I see him, right? This gets me excited. I'm going to lose my voice and it's going to be worth it. Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. Sins can be forgiven. Death has been defeated. Our relationship with God can be restored. Why? Because he's not here. He is risen. My pastor from Marysville used to always say that the tomb of Jesus, that stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that we could look in. It was rolled away so that we would know that he is risen. And y'all, because Jesus is risen this morning, we can have eternal life. We saw in Genesis chapter 3 that sin makes us lifeless. We are dead in our sin. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be made alive again and live forever in a place called heaven with Jesus. He's not here, but he's risen. You continue the story in Luke 24 verse 9, and the Bible says that each of these ladies, they go to find the disciples. The disciples are in hiding, and these women go to find them, report everything that they've seen. And what do the disciples do? 
No. Ain't no way that actually happened. Because again, they knew Jesus was dead. They saw him die. And now these ladies are coming making these unbelievable claims. So what do the disciples do? They got to see it for themselves. The Bible says that a couple of them, Peter and John, actually ran to the tomb. And man, this is a significant detail. I brought this up two years ago, and I'm going to bring it up again today. I'm going to bring up this detail as long as the Lord lets me. So whether I die or Jesus comes back, I will bring this up every year at Easter. Check this out. Luke 24, verse 12. The Bible says that Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. And when he stopped, stooped to look in, listen to this. He saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Then you read this same account in John 20, verse 6. It says, then, if you didn't know this, by the way, Joe and I were talking about this last week, Peter and John kind of had this like playful banter back and forth in their gospels, if you didn't know this. And so actually in John's gospel, it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb, and then John includes, but John got there first, you know? <laughs> and you can see over and over in John's gospel where he always refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, even though Peter was like the head honcho of all, the, all 12 disciples, like they had this little playful banter. Um, last week, you all remember that Joe, if you weren't here last week, this is going to make no sense. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the guards came to arrest Jesus, it actually says that the guards tried to take one man and uh, um, take his clothes from him, and they actually ripped off his outer tunic and he ran away naked. Um, that Peter, by the way, that was the gospel that he helped write, and most commentators believe that was John that ran away naked. And so they just had this like playful banter where Peter's like, yeah, they tried to arrest Jesus and John ran away naked. Ha <laughs> ha, you know? So they just had this like playful thing going on back and forth. And we even see that right here. So then, then following him, right? Because you can read in verse five that John got there first. So following him, Simon Peter also came. And then watch this. You need to circle this in your Bible. He entered the tomb and saw what? Linen cloths lying there. Why is this a significant detail? Who cares? Linen cloth in a tomb, why does it matter? It was just the, the, the wrapping that they put Jesus in so that they could bury him. This gets me every Easter. I think this is one of the coolest things in the entire resurrection story, and it's too significant not to bring up every single year. Watch this. Jump back with me real quick all the way to the book of Leviticus. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Back in the Old Testament, it's going to make sense here in just a moment, Thousands of years before Jesus walked on this earth in physical form, mankind had still sinned. We saw that in Genesis 3. We have a natural sin nature in us, and we are always committing offenses before a holy God. So what does God do? God sets up a system, a sacrificial system, to cover the sin debt of mankind until the Messiah named Jesus ultimately shows up. You can read throughout the Old Testament. It's not the most invigorating read, but it's pretty interesting. You can read throughout the Old Testament where mankind, priests, on behalf of the nation of Israel, would offer sacrifices. Sometimes these were animal sacrifices. Sometimes they were grain sacrifices. Sometimes it was the shedding of blood. Sometimes it was the burning of that grain. Each one was significant, and it was meant to cover the sin of the people. Watch this. One day a year... There was a day known as the Day of Atonement. And this is where the high priest would go into a place in the, the temple, or the tabernacle, known as the Holy of Holies. It was the most holy place where God would actually come down and dwell among his people. 
And contained in the Holy of Holies was what was known as the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And this is where the high priest would go in and he would offer this sacrifice on the mercy seat. It was a blood sacrifice right there on that mercy seat. And that blood sacrifice would cover the sins of the nation of Israel for one entire year. Tracking with me so far? Now watch this. Let me show you this photo real quick. You don't know what this is. So this is what this looked like. Ark of the Covenant. That top piece is what's known as the mercy seat. That's where the sacrifice would be offered. But notice on that mercy seat that there's two angels. One on the right and one on the left whose wings stick out and cover that. And so the high priest would go in and offer this sacrifice once a year. And then that would cover the sins of the nation of Israel for one entire year. But this is what's interesting to me. You can read in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 23, that in order for the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies to offer that sacrifice for the nation, for the forgiveness of sins for an entire year, that he would actually, ready? He'd have to wear special linen garments, consecrated linen garments. Let me show you this. Leviticus 16, verse 23. It says, Then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place. But watch this. You see that in that verse? After he would go into the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, and he would offer this blood sacrifice right there on the mercy seat, after he was done and the sacrifice had been made for sin, he would take those linen garments off and he'd leave them there when he left. I'm getting goosebumps. You all aren't yet, but I promise you will. Scripture actually teaches that Jesus is our high priest. Watch this. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ has appeared as the high priest of good things that have come in a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Why do Peter and John give us that very significant detail of those linen cloths? What did Jesus leave in the tomb after the blood sacrifice had been offered for the forgiveness of sins? He left the linen cloths in that most holy place. And this will blow your mind even more. Check this out. Go back to that photo. See those two angels overshadowing that mercy seat? Y'all, this is about to make... One of y'all going to have to take off a shoe and chuck it across the room. You ready for this? John chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. And what did she see? Two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying. Woo! Watch this. One at the head and one at the feet. It's the exact same picture. Where the body of Christ had been lying, where the linen cloth now lay, what was there? There was an angel here and an angel here. Why? Because the tomb of Jesus Christ is a picture of the most holy place in the mercy seat. Where at one point in time, an animal had to be sacrificed once a year over and over. But now, because of what Jesus did on that cross, and his body was laid there on that mercy seat in that tomb, you and I can be forgiven of our sins. The presence of the grave clothes is so fitting. Because Jesus offered a sacrifice for you and I once and for all. You notice we don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus did it for us. So what was left in that tomb? Grave clothes. So let's go back to our question as we close. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? 
We could list so many things. We could talk about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the creator. He's the one that hung the stars in the skies and put the planets in place, yet at the same time holds the whole universe in the palm of his hands. We could talk about how Jesus is the bread of life and he's the living water. We could talk about how he's the Lamb of God. We could talk about so many of these different things of who Jesus is. But ultimately, the answer to that question for you has to be this, that Jesus is my Lord. That's Easter. Because Jesus can be all of those things, and you can know all of those things to be true. But if the answer to the question today, who is Jesus for you? If the answer to that question is not my Lord, then you've missed Easter this morning. Because what does the word Lord mean? It means that Jesus is my master and my boss, and the one I wholly submit to. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, millions of people around the world, billions will celebrate that truth today. But sadly, so many will miss it. Because it doesn't do us any good to have any head knowledge of what Christ accomplished for us if we never submit ourselves to him wholly and completely. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. So has there ever been a moment in time where you've done that? Where you, yes, you acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross for you and on on your behalf for the forgiveness of sins once and for all because all of us are sinners and we need forgiveness. That's true. But if you, there's never been a moment in time where you took a moment and you said, Lord, I do acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm hopeless except for what you accomplished on the cross for me. And so I choose to submit myself to you for the rest of my life. Lord, would you apply what you did on that cross to my account? That's what, that's what Easter is all about. Let me pray for us. God, we love you so much. Father, I thank you for each of these individuals that's listening in our room this morning, that's listening online. God, I pray that the familiar story of Easter wouldn't be lost on us this morning, but God, you would take what is so familiar, and God, it would serve as a reminder that without the crucifixion, we'd be hopeless. Without the resurrection, we'd be lost but you voluntarily went to a cross for our sake. In order to die a death that we couldn't die, to pay a sin debt we couldn't pay on our own, to secure an eternity that we didn't deserve. And God, I pray for anybody in this room this morning that maybe they've never had that moment where their head knowledge of Jesus has actually transformed their life. Maybe they've never had a moment where they've actually submitted themselves to you wholly and completely that today that would be that day for them, this April 9th of 2023, that you would change their life for all of eternity. God, I pray as we sing that it's a sweet sound in heaven as we give you the praise you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.